Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all to be here. Today we are continuing in our Choose Wisely series. This is a series on the kings of Judah and Israel to learn from their triumphs and their mistakes. And today we are looking into the life of King Josiah from the context of 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. And what I want to highlight this morning from the life of Josiah uh, is that he was one of the best kings that Judah ever had because he broke the cycle of idolatry and wickedness that had come before him. What is truly amazing when you look at Josiah's life um, is that he did not have very good role models to follow. And he became king when he was only eight years old. Now, when I was eight years old, I only had the responsibility for keeping my room straight. And I didn't even do that well. Am I right, mom? Yeah. Imagine ruling an entire nation at eight years old. Josiah was thrust into a position with zero experience, and all he had to rely on was the knowledge that was handed down to him by his forefathers, and they did not give him an awful lot to work with. If you know anything about the context of 2 Kings, Josiah did not have good role models. His father, Amon, and grandfather, King Messiah, who led before him, were evil kings. And oftentimes when people call each other evil, they're being hyperbolic. But in this case, this is genuinely true. These were evil kings. Manasseh, who is considered by one, uh, by many, one of the worst kings to ever reign the nation, he followed foreign gods to the extent that he allowed child sacrifice to happen in Judah. He even sacrificed one of his own children to the flames. Josiah's father, Amon, wasn't much better. He largely followed Manasseh's footsteps and was so horrible that he was murdered by his own servants. However, it was necessary for someone to step into this mess, to break this cycle. But it's not going to be easy for Josiah to break deeply entrenched cycles that have been happening for generations. It's going to be hard work. It actually would have been much easier for him just to continue to go with the flow. How many of us here like whitewater rafting have been whitewater rafting in your life? Several of us. Um, I've had the benefit, the blessing to go whitewater rafting all across our great nation. I would say if you want a suggestion, the New River in West Virginia is the best. It's not too far. Do it. You'll you'll love it. One of the things they tell you as you're getting ready to go whitewater rafting is that if you fall out of the raft, pictured here like this guy is getting ready, he is preparing to fall out of this raft, and you you can't see it, um, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but the guy in the front, he's got sandals on with socks. So it's like, who wears, like, sandals with socks anyway? But, like, especially when you're whitewater rafting. But anyway, the guy in the back is getting ready to fall out of this raft. And they tell you that if you fall out of the raft, do not swim against the current. Don't do it. Just swim to the, to the shore or another raft that is closer to you that is going with the stream. But do not swim against the stream. Why? Because if you seek to swim against the stream, you're going to go quick grow quickly tired, you're going to run out of steam, and you might get in trouble. There have been many people who have died swimming against the current 
And so it's safer to go with the flow. It is, is a wiser choice always when it comes to these situations. Swimming against the current is too hard. And while this notion of going with the flow and not swimming against the current is wisdom when it comes to whitewater rafting or getting in a rip current, it doesn't quite work out that way in our relationship with God. Because in our relationship with God, he oftentimes will challenge us, encourage us, to swim against the current. What we're going to see this morning is that God calls Josiah to be different from his forefathers. To not swim in their stream, but to break their cycle. And for us today, many of us have sin cycles that we are caught up in. Some of this is due to our own poor choices and the cycles that we have forged on our own. For others, we have inherited these negative cycles from our family of origin over time. Things that have been passed down within our family that are feasting on our lives as we speak. What we're going to explore this morning is how to break free from whatever cycle we are caught up in this morning in Jesus' name. Let me say a word of prayer as we begin for the Holy Spirit to come. Lord God, we invite you into this place. We want to hear from you this morning because we know that we come to you, Lord, not adequate to live this life on our own, to live in the abundance that you have purchased for us on the cross. And so we, we recognize, Lord, and we come humbly asking you to teach us now. Your word is given as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And as we hide it in our heart and apply its truths to our lives, we live the abundant life that you came to make possible for us. And Lord, we invite you here now. May we hear your words, may you anoint this teaching, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Please turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22 if you have not done so already. To set up the context for the, 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 the chapter that we're diving into, as I said earlier, Josiah becomes king when he is only eight years old. The text tells us in verse 2 that Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, that he walked in the ways of King David, his ancestor. The story picks up in the 18th year of his rule, where Josiah took action to repair the temple of the Lord. He sends the high priest Hilkiah into the temple treasury because he needs to get the gold in order to pay the laborers who are going to then fix the temple. And while Helkiah, the priest, is in the temple, he stumbles upon the book of the law, which apparently had been lost and forgotten by the people. This situation sounds so crazy. The high priest, the high priest of Judah, during this time in the nation's history, did not even know where God's word was located. He happened to just stumble upon it while gathering up some gold in the temple. This would be like me telling you when I came out here this morning, hey church, I've got really good news. While I was hanging out in my church office, I happened to stumble upon my Bible that I haven't seen in 20 years. <laughs> if you are ever in a church where a pastor says anything remotely like that, 
get up immediately and run. Run away. See, the people of Judah had abandoned God to the extent that the temple was falling apart. The book of the law was lost and no one was reading it, let alone obeying it. God's word was forgotten. Saphon, one of the scribes, begins to read the word of God to Josiah in verse 11. Let's read about King Josiah's reaction here. Verse 11, it says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Verse 13, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Verse 13, continuing on, great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written here concerning us. Clearly, Josiah here is haunted by the fact that God's law, God's word, God's will for the people was recorded It was available for them to know and to live by, but his forefathers, they willingly, they purposefully ignored it. Josiah recognizes that God's anger must be burning because the people have ignored their God. Josiah knows that this cycle of ignoring God's word must come to an end, and he must be the one who swims against that stream, who swims against the current that the nation is currently going in in order to break this cycle. And this brings us to our first truth for this morning. Discovering God's word is the first step in breaking cycles of sin. Discovering God's word is the first step in breaking cycles of sin Church family, we live in a culture today that is moving closer and closer to what we are seeing happen here in 2 Kings. Where God's word, God's truth, God's law is an afterthought in the lives of many. Recently, Lifeway Research found that of all of those who regularly attend church, only 45% of regular church attenders read their Bible more than once a week. Over 40%, they say, of people who, these are active church attenders, people who attend church, only 40% read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And the most sobering statistic that they, they cited in this study is that almost one in five churchgoers, one in five, say they never read their Bible. So even amongst churchgoers, there is a waning interest in discovering God's word. But if the word of God is, as we say, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, how are we to break the cycles of sin in our lives if we do not know the word? How is that going to happen? The simple answer is we won't break those cycles. We will linger and limp on along in our lives needlessly while we have a treasure waiting to be discovered right within our grasp, right within our reach. You know, just this week, the news reported, just this week this happened, a Kentucky farmer found millions and millions of dollars in Civil War era gold coins on his family farm. 
The farmer's identity has been kept anonymous for obvious reasons. But I imagine as this guy's working in his field and he stumbles upon these coins, he's like, what in the world? I cannot believe this. For generations and generations and generations of his family had worked that land. They'd played on that land. They'd sown and they'd reaped on that land. All the while, the land held a treasure that nobody knew about. I also imagine after he dug up this treasure, he probably was like, I wonder if there's more over there. I wonder if some more over there. This guy, I, I bet you he probably tore up his whole entire land, right? Like you would do it. I'd probably do it too, right? What if we treasure God's word in the same way? You see, church treasure that is kept buried It doesn't do us any good. Treasure that is kept buried, it does us no good. And God's word is to be treasured. When we fail to read it, when we fail to know it, it would be like this farmer knowing that he's got a a ton of past due bills that are piling up on his desk. And the creditors are calling. And yet he, he chooses to leave the treasure buried in the field. No one would do that. No one would do that when it comes to money. But how about when it comes to the word of God? Can can we have such a high view of the word of God that we are eager to dig up its truths even more with more excitement than this Kentucky farmer digging up his millions? Because the truth is this farmer, he will use his, his millions. Even if he uses it wisely, he will use it and then it will be gone. Whereas the treasure we have in the word of God is an eternal treasure. It will not only bless our lives, but as we create positive new cycles in our lives by the truth that we glean and apply to our lives, those positive cycles, they ripple on as well. Positively, not only in our family, but those we come in contact with. New generations, future generations impacted for the cause of Christ. Church, I want to challenge you, if you are not regularly in the word of God, make a plan to do so. What often happens is that we have really good intentions. I imagine all of us that are here, we would be intentioned to read God's word with regularity. I'd imagine that would be our heart's desire. We would want to do that, but we don't have a plan, so then it just doesn't happen. The Navigator's Ministry, one of my favorite ministries, have developed several different approaches to regular Bible reading. You can visit navigators.org and see if one of these plans works for you. But it's not about navigators. Just Google Bible reading plans. There are tons of them out there that are arranged in different ways to fit what you might want to do. Another great idea is to download a Bible app. Um, This is the one that I use, the Gateway Bible app. Uh, You can listen while you're driving. You can listen while your kids are at soccer practice. You can listen while you're in the doctor's office. If we are honest, even in the midst of a busy day, we all have time to prioritize hearing from the Lord. Back in our text, Josiah realized how far the nation had wandered from God. And so he sends five officials to find out what the Lord thinks about this. He knows that they are in hot trouble with the Lord. 
This amount of ignoring is not going to be ignored by the Lord. And so he sends five officials to find out what does God think about this. Realizing that God's wrath must have been hovering over the nation for ignoring him for so long. You see, what's happening in Josiah's life right now is that the, as the book of the law is being read by Saphon, Josiah's probably thinking like, oh yeah, we do not obey that. That sounds really important and we do not observe that either. God's word says to do this and we have, we have never done that in my lifetime, in my reign. And so these five officials go to the prophetess Huldah and she confirms, yep, you guys are in big trouble. That God is going to punish Judah soon because of the corruption of the people. She added, though, that it wouldn't happen during Josiah's lifetime because he sought to break this cycle of sin. Let's pick back up in verse 19 of 2 Kings chapter 22. It says, Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people that they would become a curse and be laid to waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So you see here, God recognizes the genuine repentance that Josiah is bringing here. His heart has responded as he's heard the word of God. And Josiah humbles himself before the Lord. Church, I can't tell you how important this biblical concept is that Josiah is displaying here, but I'm going to try. You know, something happens when we open our hearts up to receive the word of God. To open our hearts means that it doesn't necessarily have to communicate what we want it to. It doesn't have to necessarily communicate what we expect it to. To open our hearts to the word of God means to surrender our will to receive his truth. Josiah has opened his heart. And this is what gives him then the ability to be humble before God. You see, oftentimes we bring a closed heart to the Lord and we need God in those moments to respond how we want him to. We need the circumstances to arrange how we want them to, how we think we need them to. That is a closed, hard heart approaching God. An open, humble heart says, Lord, I will receive whatever because I trust you. I love you. I know that your plan for me will be what better than whatever I could come up with. So let's go with your plan. This is what his forefathers lacked. They were gripped in a cycle of closed hearts and zero humility. They did not want to know what God thought. And his word was left to rot in a broken down temple. But Josiah is breaking this cycle. He is choosing a better path forward, and God is rewarding him for it. And that brings us to our second truth this morning. Breaking the cycle of sin requires a responsive heart and humility. Breaking the cycle of sin requires a responsive heart and humility. One of the blessings of being a New Testament Christian is that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his blood, 
shed for us, his body given for us, his crown of thorns for us, hanging on a tree between sinners for us. Because of all these things that are recorded in the Gospels, we have a palpable example of God's love for us to then respond to. Many of you are here today because your heart has responded to the truthfulness of the gospel. It was irresistible in your life. When I was 12 years old, my heart responded to the truthfulness of the gospel. The truthfulness of what God had done for me, it leapt off the pages of the gospel of John and into my heart. And I have never been the same since And because the posture of my heart changed, I was able to humble myself before the Lord. Now, clearly, I am not a perfect person. Family, can confirm? Yeah, yeah, you agree? But I have been redeemed. Friends, that's the thing, is I have been redeemed. And it is the knowledge of our redemption that then drives us towards humility. I'm convinced that the more that we know our need for the Savior, the more we are humbled before his presence. And the more humbled we are before him, the more open we are to receive whatever he has to give us. The more pride we have, the more that we think we know what's going on, the less we are going to be able to receive from him. You know, God creates opportunities all the time for us to regain a responsive heart. Often because we are hard-headed, those opportunities often come in the form of trials. Sometimes hard times come, and our hearts, they stay hard through that trial. We remain hard through that trial. We remain in our private state. But what God is inviting us into, he's inviting us to soften, to listen, to hear from him in humility. Friends, you know, I love, I love testimonies. Um, I think I, almost every time I preach, I probably try to share one because I believe they're such a powerful tool. They're real. They're real things that God has done in people's lives. This woman on our screens has a mighty powerful one of learning to soften her heart to the will of God no matter what. This is Johnny Erickson Tata. She is an author, an artist, a singer, a radio personality, an advocate for the disabled. And she's also been a quadriplegic for over 55 years. Joni doesn't have the use of her arms or her legs. She was in a diving accident when she was in high school. This accident crushed her C4 and C5 vertebrae, severing her spinal cord. In an interview, Joni reflected on the event that changed her life, the event that forced her to decide whether or not she was willing to humble her heart and truly follow God's plan for her. She started by recounting that before the accident, as a 14-year-old, she'd embraced Jesus as her Savior, But in her words, she had confused the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. She said, and I quote, I was a Christian and I would lose weight. 
I would get good grades. I'd be voted captain of my hockey team. I'd go to college. I'd marry a wonderful man who made $250,000 a year. We'd have 2.5 children. It was me focused. What can God do for me? I almost thought that I had done God a favor by accepting Jesus. She continues, on April of 1967, I came home from a sordid night with my boyfriend. I cried, oh God, I am staining your reputation by saying I'm a Christian, yet doing one thing on Friday night and another on Sunday morning. I'm a hypocrite. I want you to change my life. Please do something that will jerk my life right side up because I am making a mess of the Christian faith in my life. And I don't want that. I want to glorify you. And then the diving accident happened three months later. Immediately after the accident, Joni told God, I am never going to trust you with another one of my prayers again. After the accident, while overwhelmed with depression, she was angry towards God gripped with a hardened heart while laying in a hospital bed. She was whipping her neck back and forth. She was trying to sever her spinal cord at a higher level because she wanted to end it all. And in the grief at that moment, Joni cried out to God, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. God, if I I can't die, show me how to live. And in that moment, God came into Joni's life And Joni exchanged her heart of stone for a humble, surrendered heart. And now her life has been dedicated to helping others experience the same peace that she has found in Jesus. And again, you know, the reason why I love hearing people's stories of transformation is because we often think that our problems are too overwhelming or our issues are too insurmountable or that God is not interested in us. But when you hear a story like Joni's, it helps remind us that God is in every valley with us. He will walk with us through every pain. He can help us break any cycle. He can soften any heart. But, friends, we have to ask. As Joni said, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. Church, as you open your heart and humble yourself, God will show you how to live in any circumstance. And as we move back into our text, Josiah, equipped with a humble heart, is going to reform the lives of the nation. And set an example for how to live with God once again. We're going to pick up in chapter 23, verse 2. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, the follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in his book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. In these verses, we see that Josiah, he gathers the whole entire nation together. 
and he reads aloud the entire book of the covenant. If you're wondering what specifically the book of the covenant is, it's Exodus chapters 20 through 23 is the book of the covenant. Josiah does this to ensure that everyone is aware of God's law, of God's truth, of God's word. He wants to ensure that a nation avoids the same mistakes of their predecessors, of their ancestors, and that they stay connected to the word of God always. He then makes a covenant along with the people to obey the words of the law. You must understand that from a biblical context, from a biblical understanding, this idea of covenant isn't just a simple agreement. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit, which comes from the root word bara, which means to cut or divide. Well, what does a covenant have to do with cutting or dividing? Well, this root comes from the ancient Near East practice of ratifying covenants by cutting or dividing animals, and then each one in the covenant passing between the pieces of the animal. This sounds intense, and it's meant to be that way. The symbolizing the seriousness of the agreement and the potential consequences of breaking it, meaning, may I be split in two if I break this covenant? So understand here that Joshua is sobered by his experience with God here. He is inviting the nation to take their relationship with God with the utmost seriousness as well. In the remainder of chapter 23, we see Josiah put his words into action by reforming Judah. Here he begins to deliver on his covenant promise by ordering the destruction of all the altars and the idols and the sacred pillars associated with false worship that had been happening in the nation for quite some time. He removed the pagan priests and the practitioners of idolatry. We see in verse 21, he reinstated the celebration of Passover, an observance that had not been seen in the nation for generations. In verse 24, we see that Josiah removed the mediums, the spiritists, the household gods, and all other forms of occult practices that were prevalent in the nation. See, Josiah is reversing the damage done by his ancestors. He is breaking the cycle of waywardness and godlessness that's preceded him. And this brings us to our third truth for this morning. Obedience to God's covenant promises leads to abundant living. Obedience to God's covenant promises leads to abundant living. You know, there isn't a person alive who does not want an abundant, joyous life. Everybody is after that. Manasseh and Amon, Josiah's evil father and grandfather, they were also after an abundant, joyous life. They just went about it in all the wrong ways. I imagine there are many of us here who are like Josiah. We are descendants of people who sought abundant living in the wrong ways, and now we carry hurts and habits and hang-ups because of the negative influences they have had on our lives. And while those hurts are real, they do not define who we are. And like Josiah, if we commit to obey God's covenant promises for us, we can overcome any negative cycle from our past because of what Christ has done for us. He has invited us into a new family. Jesus' death on the cross opening a new 
family to root our lives to the family of God. I hope that you sense that and you feel that as you come into this place. Because it is our earnest desire that when you enter into this building, you feel like you are coming home. We call one another brother and sister. But oftentimes, as I have conversations with you, I feel a kinship that I do not have with some of my own flesh and blood because the same thing that is the most important thing about us is the same. It is Christ. It unites us. Friends, we are the family of God. Amen? Amen. This is your family. Galatians 3.26 tells us, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. It is that faith in Christ that unites us. It makes us one. And friends, if you accept by faith the new covenant in Christ's blood shed for you, you are a member of the family of God. And membership into this family is powerful. It's powerful enough to break any cycle, any sin of your past, any wrong that has been committed against you. It conquers all of that. Membership into this family frees you to leave your past in the rear view mirror and live in the abundance that Christ has purchased for you and for me. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief, that Satan, he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Satan wants your life and my life to be an absolute mess. He wants us to live for short-term gains. He wants us to worship the idols of this world. He wants you to repeat the negative cycles that have plagued your lives for years. And he wants you to go with that flow. It's easy. Just wade and go with that flow. And Jesus says, I have come that you can avoid all of that. Covenant with me. Place your faith in me and live abundantly. Friends, I do not know what cycle you need to break today. But chances are, every single one of us has something in our lives right now. A cycle from our past that is lingering on in our present that needs to be broken. As we approach the communion table this morning, we have an opportunity to reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, whose body was sacrificed for us, whose blood was shed for us so that we could break free. We celebrate an open communion here at Brandywine, which means that you do not have to be a member in order to partake with us, but we do ask that you be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we observe communion here at Brandy Wine because we see clear instruction from our Lord to remember him in this way. In Matthew 26, 26 through 28, we read, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. These are the words, these are the thoughts 
that were on Jesus' mind as he's preparing himself to be our once and for all eternal sacrifice. And within the observance of communion for us today, there is an awful lot for us to be able to reflect on, to take in during this time. We should look back at the cross. We should remember what was purchased for us upon it, giving us the ability to break free and to live in the abundance with a thankful heart, remembering that it wasn't the trivial things of this world that purchased us. It was a spotless lamb by which we are saved. We look back at the cross and in this time with a thankful heart, thank the Lord. Second, we are to look ahead. The scriptures say to do this, to observe communion until he comes again. First Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For wherever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Communion is also a proclamation of what Christ has done and that he is coming again. And so we look forward to that arrival. And third, communion is also a time for us to look within. This topic of breaking the cycle is something that is near and dear to many of our hearts. Because for many of us, stepping out and choosing to follow Jesus was breaking the cycle in our family. For others of us, maybe we've experienced that sin stronghold. But the process of sanctification, friends, is really continually looking to break and break and break with more and more and more of this world and to allow more of Christ to come into our lives. And so as we observe this communion, look within. Seek the Lord. How can he transform you from the inside out? What cycles need to be broken? Our communion is being passed again for the past several months. If you'll notice, there is a double cup. There's a cup within a cup, so you just take both of them as well. There's gluten-free in the center. And I'm going to ask our deacons to come Take this time, friends, to reflect and confess.